Let us pray together. Father, we ask for your help because we need it and you're the only one who can help us in the way that we need. We need help to make sense of our circumstance and world. Send your spirit. We need help to understand and discern your holy word. So send your spirit. We ask this, that you might help us and that we might receive from you. Amen. You may have a seat. Uh, so my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at IAC. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of John Wesley, who is most well known for his conversion story that, that concludes with this idea that his heart was strangely warmed. And on this cold morning, I really wanted to work that into my sermon and couldn't figure how, so there you go. <laughs> we have begun walking through this lived parable of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. We began last week centering the story, recognizing that Jesus is in the middle of it, and in the middle of this story, in the middle of this lived parable, Jesus has compassion, that he cares. He cares for all of the people present there that day who had arrived in lots of different ways to an isolated place and were now hungry. He cared for his friends and followers that were with him, the apostles and the disciples, and he also cares for us, hoping that we are arriving in this place with hunger. As I walk through this story and as I think about it, there's a couple of characters that we need to pay attention to. We've, we've seen Jesus here, and the next character that we can attend to are those disciples and there's a question in my mind as we heard the gospel read is, was Jesus actually being compassionate towards them? Here, here they are uh, in this remote place. The disciples are equally weary and worn out and grief stricken over the news of uh, John the Baptist. They, they, they are there as well with 5,000 people that they did not plan on and Jesus, in his compassion, says, feed them. That didn't, that didn't sound like caring in that moment to me as I read it. What, what's it like to, to be there and to see this crowd, to want some time just with your buddies, and then the guy in charge is like, didn't you bring the food truck? Don't you have enough? And, and I wonder how... How might they receive that? Is there anything that might help them receive that well? Is there something in their shared learning or history that, that they might be able to draw on? Because frankly, at that moment when Jesus is like, you should give everyone here a meal, they're right to be overwhelmed. They're, they're right to be like, come on, really? Right now? Well, there's, there's a chance that they knew the story from 2 Kings. The story of the prophet Elisha. 
he was living in a time that was marked by famine and need. And, and he's in this town and, and out from the first harvest, what might have been the first harvest in a while, Servants come and bring fresh bread, and not just like fresh bread in the sense that it's baked then, but fresh in the sense that it's the, it's the new um, crop. It's fresh from a famine. It's provision out of less. And, and there's a whole people gathered around, and Elisha says, ah, you should take these 20 loaves to feed the people that are there, and the servants are like, these 20 loaves are not going to feed 100 people. And you, you can see now how this is a story that's going to be connected to, but still unique from the feeding of the 5,000. Elisha here had 20, where we find out that the disciples end up with only five loaves. Elisha is trying to feed 100, and there are 5,000 gathered in this remote place. But Elisha says, just feed it to them. There's going to be some left over. Elijah is living in to this abundance mindset while his servants are living into a scarcity mindset. And it turns out that this particular miracle had some persistent quality to it because Jesus is going to live it out again in a more complete and full way. And that the disciples in this story are kind of stuck in the mindset of scarcity along with Elijah's servants. They could have brought that to bear, perhaps if they'd been given a moment. Perhaps if they'd had the opportunity to remember. But they they didn't seem to. In, In fact, Jesus says, why don't you give them something to eat? And they respond, deeply connected to their circumstance and then deeply connected to the world. In their circumstance, Jesus says, let's feed these 5,000. And they're like, whoa, what are you even talking about? I don't have the capacity to do this right now. And they're, they're right, they don't. They don't, but they get, they get stuck there. That's their circumstance, is that they don't, in their human capacity, have a way to make this happen. And then they get stuck again, but into the world Because the response moves from they don't have the capacity towards like maybe is it even worth it? This phrase of it would take half a year's wages to feed all of these is not only the fact that they don't have the cash, nor do they have the food trucks to pay for the food. It's not there. But also by monetizing it, they bring in this idea of the world. Is it, are these people worth it? If we even had the money, if, if we had the bread, would this be the right place to use it? We see this in other places in the lives of the disciples, wondering, like, shouldn't we just give this money to the poor? Maybe these people aren't worth it. The disciples here are overwhelmed by their circumstance and then overwhelmed by the world. I... I was raised, uh, and my dad, he's, he's right here. My dad was in the army, and we were raised moving around and raised kind of in, a, in that type of mindset that, that brought me to understand that being overwhelmed by a circumstance was something that I should avoid. 
That, that being overwhelmed by a situation is something that can be mitigated by good planning, by organizational processes, by maintaining a cool head in any kind of circumstance, by being able to track a decision-making process and then execute it with clarity. And I liked that. That was good. Most of my life, I feel like I was either raised or trained or then counted on to be the one who is immune to overwhelm. And that has done something in me. Because for most of my life, I feel like I have successfully avoided being overwhelmed regardless of the circumstance. I was uh, at, a, at a large extended family dinner a number of years ago. Uh, we were celebrating the life of my grandfather who was still alive and so it was really beautiful and vibrant and good and I'm with all of my cousins who, if you guys have cousins, maybe you remember what it was like to grow up with young cousins when you were kids and then all of a sudden everyone's 30 and you're adults and you're like, okay, who are we now? How does this work? And so there was a lot in this, in this dinner and this shared time of, of getting to know one another. And my cousins, uh, one of them was like, Aaron, you've always just struck us as so stoic. It's about right. I usually kind of am. I, I remember being in like teaching or preaching situations surrounded by eighth graders, which is overwhelming for some people. I also remember being in teaching and preaching situations surrounded by bishops, which is overwhelming for some people. In my first church plant, it was in a little seminary town. And so the whole church is comprised of people who are my professors. And I'm supposed to preach to them. And they're not going to give a grade back, which was excellent. <laughs> and in these things, it just kind of rolled off. My, my life has any number of, of tragedies and hurts and brokenness. And my person, the way I was raised, the way I experienced the world was to not be overwhelmed. Your life has any number of tragedy and hurt and brokenness. And each of us deal with that in a lot of different ways. Mine was simply a commitment to not be overwhelmed. And I think in some moments that was good and in some moments that was deformative and maybe unhelpful. But it's what makes me look at these disciples who are there in the middle of being overwhelmed by circumstance in the world and I kind of want to be like, guys, get it together. Like, maybe I don't have pity on them. Like, let's look around and find some problem-solving solutions here. Can we get creative? Can we work together? Let's build a team, let's write a plan, and then let's do it, right? The disciples just shut down. Maybe they had a little bit of like a, a fight-or-flight response because of their overwhelm. All of those are opportunities for each of us anytime we feel overwhelmed. But, but I think what happens to us 
and I frankly think that we're conditioned this way, is that when we experience the overwhelm of circumstance in the world, we either over-respond to the overwhelming situation. We over-respond in really big ways. That might be like massive emotional expression. That might be let's go do a thing. We over-respond, and I think internally what happens is that we we live in this sense of like consistent alertedness that maybe isn't helpful. It's not vigilance, it's just being alert all the time. Or maybe it's this persistent anxiety and anxiousness. Maybe it's a touch of angst and anger. I think one of the ways we know that we're responding to our conditions in the world by over-responding to these things is that we end up living divided and divisive lives. Because of our alertness, because of our anxiousness, because of our anger, we fracture. Because it makes it simple. We over-respond and we create smaller and smaller of units that respond like we do. The other thing I think that we're conditioned to do, and frankly, I think we're conditioned to both of these, so if you recognize them in yourself both, you're probably doing this, rightly. We're we're all being conditioned in this way because of our exposure to media and constant news and any number of other inputs, is that we might over-respond to the overwhelm, or we might under-receive it. I think about the fact that we could name any number of international conflicts taking place right now where violence on a mass scale is taking place against both combatants and non-combatants. That evil and violence is persistent in our minds right now and we are under-receiving it. Meaning that we go numb to it. That it doesn't elicit any response. And if we don't go numb at least we just neglect it. We, we were able to say, that doesn't actually have to impact my life. I think that we are all being conditioned by the overwhelm of circumstance and the world to either over-respond and under-receive. Frankly, this is what happened to the disciples because they were overwhelmed by their situation, their circumstance, the world. They didn't have the human capacity to do something. And so they became numb to the need of the people. Right? Their connection to the world, this scarcity mindset, allowed them, allowed them to have this great exaggerated response to Jesus like this is impossible, man, and forget who he was to over-respond in that way. The thing is, the disciples here were improperly overwhelmed. They were improperly overwhelmed, not because what they did was wrong in that moment. It's because they had another kind of overwhelm that was available to them. There is more than enough in our circumstances and in our world to overwhelm us and to send us in the direction of the world, the flesh, and the devil. There is more than enough of that. 
And that's the path that in this moment the disciples took. And frankly, that's a path that each of us have the opportunity to take. The reason I say they were improperly overwhelmed is because they were overwhelmed in such a way that prevented them from receiving holiness and and living in the kingdom of God. They were overwhelmed in such a way that they forgot who they were standing next to. They missed that in their overwhelm. Because in that moment, they had an opportunity for another kind of overwhelm. An overwhelming that was about holiness. Overwhelming that was about a kingdom. When I think about some of my own person, my own story, the the reason that um, that I can name the story of being stoic with my cousins is because in that dinner, most of the time I just sat there and wept, recognizing the goodness that God had been active in for my grandfather's life and therefore for all of us. I I, I would have lived outside of that reality if I had simply just been stoic in it. But I had an opportunity to be overwhelmed in a different direction. If I think about being in a room with a bunch of eighth graders or bishops or college professors, I can be immune to that kind of overwhelm, but I better not be immune to the fact that they bear the image of Jesus. I can't miss that. And if my my under sense of being overwhelmed prevents me from seeing God in them, then I'm wrong. The disciples here, and us perhaps, In this story, the feeding of the 5,000 have an opportunity to be overwhelmed either by the circumstance and the world or by Jesus. And if there's a sin in this story, it's that the disciples and maybe me and maybe us resist, reject, or repel Jesus' desire to overwhelm us. For whatever reason, for me, it's that my mentality, who I am, was such that being overwhelmed is not an option. Therefore, I am deep into temptation to just not be overwhelmed by even Jesus. For others of us, it might be different where we get overwhelmed by any number of things and that takes away our capacity to be overwhelmed by Jesus. We hear about this from Peter. From from Peter who was there that day. When When he talks about reminding the people who are receiving his letter, he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's like, we were overwhelmed by Jesus. 
by who he is, by his holiness, and by his kingdom. This is the overwhelm that I think that we can see in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and say, that's what we needed. That's what we need help for, is to receive the overwhelm of Jesus, his holiness, and his kingdom. Holiness, for us, is a life increasingly marked by the gospel. That's what holiness is. That our life is increasingly growing, expanding in ways that are connected to the good news of Jesus, the gospel. And the kingdom, the kingdom is abiding in the community of which Jesus is king. Experiencing his authority and his power as both operative and real. We need these things. And to live into these things requires us to be overwhelmed by Jesus. Here's some of the shifts that take place when we're receiving holiness, when we're living in the kingdom, when we're welcoming the overwhelm of Jesus. First, we end up living more in an abundance mindset and less in a scarcity mindset. Elisha and Jesus are both like, there's going to be enough. And everybody else is like, there's never going to be enough. There's more than enough. It it invites us into another shift, a shift um, that is saying that there is an inexhaustible capacity in Jesus. And when we abide in him, that there's always going to be that capacity. And the other is to say we have to rely on our own mere individual human capacity. Can you say living in this space of scarcity and human capacity? That's an overwhelm that will send us into the world, the flesh, and the devil. Living here even just momentarily, even just occasionally, is going to invite us more and more into holiness and the kingdom of God. Inviting us to be overwhelmed again and again by Jesus. And and I think the disciples in this story, they tip this way, and I know why I think that. It's because later, in Mark 6, which is the chapter we're in for the story, if you keep going to the very end, they end up, all the disciples are in a boat. You guys know the boat story. They're all in the boat in the middle, and it's stormy, and Jesus isn't there. And it says that Jesus is walking by, right, on the water. That's cool. And he's walking by, and the disciples are terrified. They're not only terrified by the storm, but they're terrified because there's a guy walking on water. That doesn't look like good news to them in that moment because they're living over here in their overwhelm of the situation and the circumstance in the world. They're overwhelmed. They can't even recognize what's happening here. And it says, immediately he spoke to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. I love that Jesus says, don't be afraid. Because at least he's recognizing that we are. It says, then he climbed into the boat with them. So like, he's like outside the boat when he's saying, take courage, it is I. Like he's not there all the way in there with them yet. 
and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. But then now hear this in verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves. Here in the moment of the boat and the storm and Jesus walking in the water, he's saying, you guys weren't paying attention when we were with that group in the field and we were going to feed them. You missed a thing. You were so overwhelmed by circumstance in the world that you missed who you were standing next to, who was full of capacity, who was sharing holiness and his kingdom. The disciples here miss that, and I don't want us to. I don't want to. If the overwhelm of the world invites us to either over-respond or, over, or under-receive, the overwhelm of Jesus invites us into two very different things. The first is that the overwhelm of Jesus invites us into wonder, into curiosity. Actually, what it invites us into is permission to wonder, permission to be curious. We need permission and to wonder to live in his kingdom because it's not the thing that seems most readily apparent to us. We need permission to live in God's kingdom and to then to then wonder in these moments of overwhelm in our lives or in these moments at least for me when I can see that the big overwhelm is coming and I just get rigid and kind of steal myself I need the curious question I need the wonder to ask how is Jesus showing up in this moment with his power and his authority In this moment of being overwhelmed or being invited into being overwhelmed by the world, the flesh, and the devil, can we take a moment and say, how is Jesus showing up with his inexhaustible capacity, with his abundance, with his holiness, with his kingdom? Can you consider a moment when you've been overwhelmed or tempted to be overwhelmed going down this way? What would have shifted in your head or your heart or your hands if we'd taken just a moment to breathe the question, how is Jesus showing up? How is he bringing his kingdom in this moment? I think the first invitation of being overwhelmed by Jesus is the permission to wonder. But the second one The second invitation is different. The second invitation is is actually more of a confession. It's the confession that says, I am resisting Jesus. I am resisting who he is. I'm resisting his presence. I'm resisting his goodness. I'm resisting his holiness because I don't want to be overwhelmed. Or maybe to say, like the disciples, I have resisted Jesus by by just going with the overwhelm of the circumstance in the world and just spinning. We need to confess 
this sin of saying we resist Jesus. But there's another confession that goes with that. It's not only, okay, I have sinned in resisting Jesus. The other confession is to say, I desire to be overwhelmed. And if you're going to choose between one of these, choose the second. I desire to be overwhelmed by Jesus. That's the confession that we are invited into. Confessing that we desire holiness. We desire the whole of God to animate the whole of us. To confess a need to be overwhelmed in the direction of his kingdom and of his holiness. We need to be overwhelmed. All of us need to be overwhelmed but not by the things that normally do that. We need to be overwhelmed by who Jesus is, by who he is, by his presence, by his proximity, by his person. We need to be overwhelmed by Jesus. And here in just a minute, we have an opportunity to pray and to reflect and to pray with people on, on each side. And you can do a lot with that. You're, you're bringing your own story into this space, so please, if that's the place that you need to pray and to pray with someone, do that. But I want to invite perhaps two options for your prayer. The first, the first option is, do you need permission to wonder what would happen if Jesus showed up in your current overwhelm? And if you do, let that inform your prayer. Ask for that permission to wonder. And the second, do you need to make a confession? Do you need to confess perhaps that you've resisted Jesus' ability to overwhelm you? Or do you need to make a confession that says, Jesus, I want you to overwhelm what's happening in me right now. I want you to overwhelm me. There is more than enough of Jesus to overwhelm you. And it's my hope that he would. Let us pray. Father, I... I resist being overwhelmed. And I need your help so that Jesus would overwhelm me. Father, I need your help to be caught up in the imagination of holiness. I need your help to live in your kingdom knowing that I am radically secure and provided for. We need your help to be overwhelmed by your son, Jesus. And so, Father, would you help us? Amen.